when you first got to the varsity football team at Dulles High School, who was that first person to kind of kick your butt and welcome to the varsity level of competition? So um, one of those welcome to varsity moments was from a guy, Paul Medina. Um, you know how campuses have families. The Medinas huh. were the family, um, yeah. three or four kids to go through. Um, but I was a sophomore playing defensive end. Um, and I was the, the play was coming to me. I see my tackle block down. I see the running back in the hole. And I'm like, I'm about to make that highlight moment I'm about to impress coach preach I'm about to be a varsity starter like my whole <laughs> life like I had it sorted out at that moment and as soon as I go break down get the tackle I'll get my clock clean my feet were horizontal um and Paul Medina was one of those guys to let you know that uh welcome to varsity young buck and it, it was one of those moments where I realized man it's a little different speed uh, from freshman football to coming up as a sophomore, um, a little harder hitting. No easy plays. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, and one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, and one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm all right, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast. This is episode number 75. We got a lot of firsts on today's episode. Like, this is our first ever uh, associate principal, I think, to come into the Team Player Podcast studios. But he's also a coach, a guy that I was in the district with and, and coached with back in Fort Ben ISD. But the whole way that this came about is definitely a first. I, as the listeners know, I recently moved out to Katy. And I take my son, he's, he's going to be, I'm drinking the red Kool-Aid now. He goes to Tigerland daycare. I mean, we're all Katie Tigers out here. But every day that I drive by there, I, I, I go by this little coffee shop. And it's called the coffee bar. But it, it's like, it looks like it's the house. It, it's like, it looks like just a regular residential house, but there's always cars out in front. And so today, you know, works a little slow. The 4th of July, we're recording here over, you know, 4th of July weekend. And I stopped in there. I, I get to talking to the ladies real nice in there. And we get to talking and talking and we, we start talking. Oh, yeah, I used to co-. She's like, my son's a coach. And I was like, oh, I used to coach. And we come to find out I know exactly who her, her son is. So so Coach and I, man, we connected on Facebook Messenger uh, after I left the coffee shop. He is the former associate uh, assistant head coach and strength and conditioning coordinator for the Dulles Vikings. And that's where I knew him. And he is now an assistant principal at LV mm-hmm. Hightower, so another place that I know very well. It's my honor to welcome Stephen McCormick to the show. Thank you for having me again. Um, when my mom texted me, I was like, hold on, Kobo, I, I know that guy. We, we've shared yeah. some uh, press box space and we've been yeah, to some track right. meets and meetings together. I know him pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah, man. I lo- lo- just love the way that, that all transpired. But again, if you're a part of the Team Player Podcast movement, please make sure you've given us a five-star rating. We're up to, up to 63 on Spotify and 30 on Apple Podcasts. And we did it. I put out the call. Somebody went, we, we had a 5.0 for over a year on Spotify. Somebody went in there, gave us a bad rating. We were down to 4.9. The, the team players have answered the call. We got a couple of new ratings over the weekend. We are back to 5.0. 
So I, I just want to say thank you to all of our, our people out there. Thank you for keep. We're a 5.0 show of 5.0 guests. And so uh, we, we really appreciate, we appreciate that. If you want to leave a written review, I, I read those on the show. If you ever want to leave one of those and then you hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new episode in your queue every Sunday, we'll be honored. If the team player podcast made it into your rotation. And I'm your host, James Kovaleski. You can follow me on Twitter at coach underscore Kovo. That's coach underscore K O V O. All right, coach. So you are not a native Sugarlanders. This is, you know, I, I pretty much am for the most part. I mean, we lived in a leaf and spring branch and I, I was actually born in Japan. I lived there for a year, but most of my life K through 12, I was in FBISD schools, but I found out about you, even though you went to the original, what we used to call the mothership. You went to Dulles high school. You're actually from the Metroplex and you went, uh, you're from Plano and you said you were in the, the Plano East Pesh Plano East senior high. I do. I definitely Ooh. know about Pesh, the, the Plano East Panthers from my time at, in college up at Austin college in Sherman. But um, did not know that about you, man. So some of my memories of Plano East, pretty sure they're the Panthers. And I remember, I'm pretty sure the coach was Johnny Ringo. Am I having that right? Yep. And I know the coach has been really involved in THSCA. I never got to know him in person, but the, the name always just, I just thought that was the coolest name, Johnny Ringo. Uh, but he always stood out in my mind. And I remember well, at least when I was in college, I'd sometimes go down there to watch some games, had a couple teammates, uh, from Plano East. I believe you guys were running the flex bone, right? Or some kind of option offense. Is, is that yeah, uh, what you remember? Remember? Yeah. The Maryland. I, um, I was, okay, at, there we go. I was at middle school wanting to play that fullback position. Yeah. Uh, really just, um, smash mouth football. Um, I ended up playing on the defensive side more. Um, I went to Plano East's feeder, uh, ninth and 10th grade center. And those schools are huge. Um, right. that's the biggest difference when I, came to Dulles and Sugarland. I thought Sugarland was a made up town. I thought it was like Candyland. Um, <laughs> right. But it, it was an opportunity for me. Um, my mom got relocated. Um, so really it was an opportunity to go to a four year school. Um, Dulles was one of the flagship, went to state in 91. So there was a rich traditional uh, history and it gave me a lot of opportunities to see the field quickly. Um, Plano East, that it, they're a beast. It, yeah. They have like a thousand teams. It right. feels like so. Um, it's an honor to be a Fort Bend. I moved my freshman year. Um, so it was an honor to kind of put those horns on my helmet, even though I grew up thinking I was going to wear that black and gold um, Plano East. Yeah, and I, I remember because, you, you, like you mentioned, Plano East Senior High is a, a junior and senior campus. So you said that there was a big 4,000 kids just between juniors and seniors at Plano East, and then you went to a ninth and 10th grade center. Sometimes we see ninth grade centers pop up over here, but you had a ninth and 10th grade center. Can you kind of just for our listeners that are maybe Houston, we don't see that often, you know, so or I can't think of any in Houston that have a ninth and 10th grade together, but can you describe for our listeners this, what that was like? I mean, did you, did you like being split up like that? I'm just kind of curious your, your thoughts on that. It's really the only thing I knew um, we had two ninth and 10th grade centers. So in my head, I thought every school was like that. Um, yeah. They did it for students to get acclimated ninth graders and 10th graders. If you made varsity, you would get bussed over to yeah. Plano East. Correct. So it was like really an honor to wear your jersey in the freshman and sophomore campus. Yeah. We had a sophomore quarterback um, that did that. I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to be able to wear my Plano East jersey at Williams High School. Um yeah. And just kind of those bragging rights. Um, so it was the only thing I really knew. It was about the size of a Dulles or an Elkins 2,400 kids just in a ninth and 10th grade center. Um, but we all wanted to be at the senior high as quickly as possible. And 
you weren't you went to Plano East, but I'm I'm thinking of Rex Burkhead because I remember he was a freshman, you know, that made the varsity at Plano at fullback, which isn't easy to do. But I always remember here he had to get bust over for practice, you know. So were you in that kind of that? Were you did you ever play middle school football against Rex Burkhead or? Um, no, some of the biggest names I played with um, Keenan Robinson. Okay, um, he was a Plano East guy. Um, he was I remember playing little league with him against him. And then um, when I was uh, He's one of those guys that got moved up quickly um, to get bust over Plano East. One of the first uh, D1 athletes I ever met was Terrence Wheatley. Um, he's Michigan. out of the tackle. Yeah. Uh, so he, I remember strength and conditioning camp in the summer. We called it TAC. Um, he yep. was one of those guys that if he's doing five more pounds, I'm doing five more pounds. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't even recognize me, but I looked up to him kind of in the middle school in ninth grade wanting to kind of be like that guy he went to colorado um, oh i'm so, so sorry a, i was thinking of tyrone wheatley i'm sorry terrence but i do remember terrence wheatley as well so he's he's big with the atomist tackling stuff now very cool very very cool so he he was there at at, at pesh with you coming through yeah. that same theater system and then did you did you have plano west at the time it, you did right there's yes. so plano because plano there west came three, in maybe three yeah. campuses plano plano east and plano west um, then they usually matched up in the district with Allen. So I got to play Allen my freshman year. Um, and that was a, a good, uh, good experience. Um, we, we took a beating though. One last question about that, man. Cause I come from Fort Bend where all the schools are basically named after mainly people, sometimes like an area, like a Ridge point or something. Um, but I kind of like how, like, you know, Tomball's doing it this way. They got Tomball. They built Memorial. I think they're building now. It's going to be called Tomball North or, you know, I kind of, I'm a, I kind of like the directional names. <laughs> just the way that I'm wired. So I kind of like the East, West and just Plano. I'm just curious, like, did, does that, because I've never grown up in a system like that. Does, does that add more like civic pride for your side of town or, or, did, or did that play any kind of factor at all? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Uh, it's more pride because you're playing for a region, not. Correct. Yeah. Um, I love Dulles, but I didn't know who Dulles was until I'm sitting in a history class reading about it. Sure. I knew who L.V. Hightower was because I studied that he was connected with Dulles, and they named it after him. Um, but there's there a lot of pride, and I've played the scenario a lot. Like if Fort Bend had five high schools, if they were like Fort Bend, Fort Bend North, Fort Bend yeah. South, East, West, and kind of what two schools would feed into – um, which one I played that scenario a, a lot as an administrator. I think about those things. I think um, Fort Bend East would be really, really, really good. <laughs> absolutely. The Missouri city side. So absolutely. I, I got the benefit from that in my coaching career being on, on, that, on that side of town at Ridgepoint for sure. But let, you know, last kind of question for you now, and you have a, you have a unique experience that you, you grew up as a student in this kind of setting in Plano and then came to a Fort Bend more style where it's, keeping the campus more around 2000 students, you know, we're still six, a schools, but you know, we're, we're on the lower end. We're not like Plano then, or like a leaf back in the day was kind of like a Plano or the, the L second yeah. Hastings really ballooned in size. And now you're an administrator and you've also, of course, you've been a teacher and a coach, but now you're an administrator. So you have, you kind of see another layer of planning and complexity. Obviously the drawbacks or, or critics of the Plano style would say that you don't want it to get too big because students will get lost in the shuffle. Maybe there's too much competition for spots. You know, if the smaller you go, more kids can make the team or, or make the fine arts performances or, you know, this, that, and the other, and more individual attention. I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, you know, you know, but I'm just curious, any feedback you can give for us. I, I became a parent recently. I've got a 14 month old son. 
What do you think, man? I mean, do do you? Do, I mean, obviously there are pros and cons to both, but do you feel like one is better to, than the other? Whether you you try to go big like a Plano ISD, you know, or if you try to go smaller, maybe more like a Fort Bend with you know the twelve, we're up to twelve of Crawford, I believe, yeah. twelve high school. So, what what do you think, man? What what are some of the what are some of your thoughts on that? So my as a coach, I'm like, let's get more <laughs> high school so my buddies can get head coaching jobs. Sure, um, sure, good point. Yeah, as a uh, player, I was like, that gave me an opportunity because it was more schools. If there are right. five schools, I've made, I've only made special teams. Right. Um, so right. that helped me go to college. Um, as a coach, I'm like, I want assistant coach or position coach. I want large schools. So I have ABC teams. Yes. So I can yes. pull from all sorts of guys. As an administrator, Fort Men, our buildings aren't designed to hold 3,000 plus kids. Right. Um, so anytime we get close to that, um, the halls are always busy. So as an administrator, right. I right. like the the idea of smaller sizes uh, right. of numbers. So if we had five major campuses, that would be nice to only have 2,000 kids, ninth and 10th grade centers. So I think that helps with the development and the, the leadership, um, building those students up. Um, and you get less boundary lines to fight about because they're feeding into larger schools larger opportunities um for electives and things like that um you're not saying oh only 100 kids made this and we need 200 to make the class um having those big campuses allows you to be able to have J japanese you can offer more programs group. that's a good point right. yeah so, um i kind of like the big school idea um because of the pride factor um having five campuses but feeding into those i think that would be really cool for our students and you can make it work where kids get opportunities and develop um athletically as well as in the classroom i tend to agree with you and, and for me as a coach like if you're going to put me in 6a i want it as big as possible but if you're going to put me in 5a then you can string <laughs> i don't mind playing 5a we got to do that at ridge point we played 4a at the time and that was kind of fun you know just to get us going and, and a good start but um so, but to clarify, it sounds like what you're saying is in order to make that work, though, you kind of need the senior high model. You you, it, you need just juniors and seniors, because if you try to do sophomores, junior, seniors, even all four, like Fort Ben does, it would just be too large at that point. Correct. Okay. And then I'm curious. So like, so you're saying that like Plano East, it actually ends up being the same size as say a high tower, but just only with two grades. So you still need the same number of administrators, or do you think Plano schools also have more administrators to kind of handle it? Well, right now I think they're flirting with 6,000 students. So essentially that's 3000 per grade level. My sister graduated from Plano East um, and they had intermission in their graduation. That's how large it was um, just to switch out speakers. Um, and so I would say it's one of the largest schools. When right? you're saying 6,000, you're saying that's just 6,000 juniors and seniors, or is that, is that counting your freshmen and sophomores? Um, I would assume that large of a number, it might be counting your freshmen. Okay, okay, right, yeah. Um, and it's probably three, 4,000 kids on campus. Right now, Ridgepoint's sitting at 3,000. Travis is sitting at 3,000. And those schools have like 19 temporary buildings, it seems right. like. I did that at Austin. I don't know if Dulles was ever like that, but when I was at Austin, there was a big boom. We were the biggest district. We were the biggest school in the district. And we, we had a, we called it the T-Shack village. Actually. When I, when I was at Dulles, we had four T-Shacks. I'm like, I don't want class out there in a trailer. Keep me in the building. 
But as a teacher, we had four T shacks. I'm like, put me out there, get control of my own AC. Yes. Um, <laughs> real close to the field house. Any any teachers or coaches listening, if you haven't lived the T shack life, you want to do it. Trust me. I was the same way at first. I was like, I don't know about this, but yeah, control your AC. They leave you alone. You have a lot more autonomy out there. Uh, I learned that at Clements High School when I, when I was coaching there. But okay. And then Plano, Plano just over time, they, they have not built any new campuses. It is still just east west and plano so is it is it that the city kind of just obviously you're kind of landlocked so just the, it's just you stopped growing and those three were enough and it's it's always going to be enough or do you think someday there could be a plano north or a plano south or something or i think someday they'll probably build a fourth campus wow um but their their buildings are large enough where they could easily build another ninth and tenth grade center before they have to build a senior high where each one gets three ninth and tenth grade centers feeding into it um Plano East is kind of like that California model where you have to walk outside. There's a lake in the middle. Um, wow. So okay. they have, it's almost like a college. I did not know that. That is awesome. Wow. That's beautiful. A lake in the middle. Mm-hmm. But, so there's yeah. a lot of space. Very cool. Now, well, last thing I, I like to nerd out about this and it's kind of cool to have someone who's administrator now and, and who grew up in this because one of our other most recent guests, Evan Coachman, he's from Frisco. And Frisco is kind of famous that they're doing the exact opposite of Plano. They took the exact opposite approach. Dr. Reedy, their superintendent. So I, I see yeah. you nodding your head. So you seems like you maybe know a little bit about what I'm about to say, but Frisco does not build the mega campuses. They actually made their plan that I think all of the Frisco schools are now 5A and, and they that's by design. They're never going to have a 6A. They're never going to have a Frisco entry that's in that top classification. Like they are just going to build a bunch of them and they're going to be smaller and that's the way that they want it. For the for the reasons we talked about, they want it more smaller, more intimate, maybe better chance to make the team or the you know the club or whatever. So yeah. just curious, do you any it sounds like you have some knowledge about Frisco's situation? Any thoughts about that kind of model where you're purposely because like Fort Bend's not doing that. Fort Bend has some mostly six A. We got a couple five A's, which you guys just came from five A. We even have a five uh, A division two at Marshall, you know, so even smaller. So just kind of curious, some of your thoughts on that Frisco model of like purposely keeping them all capping them at a certain size. I know LCISD tried to do that, I believe, where okay. they wanted okay. to remain all 5A. Um, I haven't gotten details on this, but I think Fort Bend enjoys having teams in several different classifications okay. because when it comes to playoffs, instead of only having four teams in, you could literally have six, Absolutely. seven teams in um, representing the district. Um, I don't think that's their design because we have several underutilized campuses, um, but I think they enjoy – seeing a bunch of teams in the the playoff hunts in several different districts. Well, good stuff, man. No, so I enjoyed talking about kind of your Metroplex part of your life. And now let's fast forward here to the Sugar Land, the Houston part. Most of our listeners are, are Houstonians. You went to John Foster Dulles High School. Well, us at Austin, our coaches were called at the mothership. Every time that we played, we played uh, Dulles, you know, where they'd be like, oh, we're playing the mothership this week. And um, that was always something kind of cool. Dulles being the original high school in Fort Ben ISD. I believe then Willow Ridge was built maybe in the late 70s. And I think Clements was built in the early 80s. And I actually was just listening to uh, Neil Quillen on the Houston High School Coaches podcast, uh, hosted by my friend Andres Gomez at, the, you know, the Houston uh, – uh, GHFCA uh, hosts this podcast and Neil Quillen was the coach at Willowridge when they actually won state, I believe in 1981. And that's just that crazy. Was- Cause you mentioned Dulles going to state in 1991 at one time, all of these kids went to Dulles. I can only imagine like how talented Dulles was in the late seventies before Willowridge even off was an offshoot. And then 
even despite that, Dulles still made it in 1991. So just really cool history with some, especially some of these older, you know, your Willow Ridge, your Dulles, your Clement, some of these really older campuses uh, in Fort Ben ISD. But you played for a legend who's also been on this show, but that my friend coach Gomez, I've, I've listened to the Jim Creech episode yeah. and Creech is a legend. I actually interviewed him one time at halftime of a game that I was broadcasting with <laughs> Roger Smith. And that was so much fun. I got, I've always uh, thought of Jim Creech as kind of like a larger than life personality, but it's, it's kind of cool. I think back to my time in Fort Bend, a lot of those coaches were there for a long time. Now Creech was the leader by far. Cause he got there like in the eighties, but my coach, Tom Stewart was at Austin for a long time. Tom Henderson was at Kempner for a long time. I always remember Andy Boland was the coach at Elkins, you know, and I was coming through high school. Now you're a little younger than me. So some of these names changed, you know, Mike Farrell, I think took over for Henderson. So the guys that I'm naming maybe weren't the coach for you. Bill Burling uh, was a coach at Clements again before you, but can you just speak to like the longevity of the coaches in Fort Ben ISD during that period, especially your coach? Yours is a special one that everybody in Fort Ben ISD knows Jim Creech. Um, when Creech would walk around, it's red alert because you never know <laughs> yeah. what stage he was on, but you can tell if he's red, stay out of his way. And uh, <laughs> one time, it, we, I think we, my senior year, we had a really good team Cotton Turner, Daryl Stoneham, right? Uh, Drew Wolfo, um, a lot of lot of talent um and we were tied with Kempner let him score something like it wasn't a big deal but I remember um on we punt it and I go down there and I hit a guy after the whistle Mm. Uh, I couldn't really hear it and Creech I see him storming towards me uh down the sideline red is all get out um pissed because uh or really ticked off because Cotton had to start further back, um, and we wanted to score before halftime. I just remember getting in my face and going red alert on me. Um, But I love working for Creech. Um, He's larger than life. He's a legend. Mm -hmm. Um, But most importantly, um, he gave me my first job out of college. Um, It was kind of that father figure for me um, growing up in a single-parent household. Um, But I love Creech, and I enjoyed um, working for him my first couple years. it's kind of like when you meet your heroes and they're actually who they say they are. Yeah. That was Creech. Um, yeah. And I, I loved how um, he was a pillar in the district. Um, and as other coaches kind of went on, took other opportunities, um, he looked to hire Fort Bend guys. Um, so I enjoyed going back to uh, coach for him. Now that period, I, I, I started coaching at Clements. My first year was the year that Clements went 13 and one. That was my very first year as a rookie coach. I was a you know freshman B team coach. Got to go along for the ride of Derek Carr and all them. So were you? Did you play against that team, or were you like right immediately kind of after? No, I played against uh, Derek Carr. Okay, uh, and I remember putting him on my highlight tape. Um, now he's way bigger than I am now, but I was so excited because his brother. I was like, I'm going to get a couple sacks against him. Um, and I believe that game was neck and neck. Um, Y'all had a really good uh, running back. I think Chris Lenoir. Yeah. So we had some battles playing linebacker, I remember, um, against uh, Clements. And I just remember well-disciplined. They were never going to jump off size, never going to get a stupid penalty. Um, I think we split the district that year uh, for the title. So I, I played outside linebacker. Okay. Um, we, we had a couple good guys inside, Zach Butler, um, Brandon Heron, who went to Michigan. Yep, that's right. Um, yeah. Butler, Butler 
got an opportunity to play baseball. Um, I think he got drafted, and now he coaches at UTSA baseball, I believe. Okay. Um, we had some really good, really good talent. So I was blessed to lead the team in tackles, but it's all because they were running away from the other guys. So. <laughs> No, man, really cool. And you're talking about like uh, your your career there. You say you started your career in high school as a defensive end. You told that story about getting kicked out on the power play. Um, and then Coach Burton, Charles Burton. So, again, we have a lot of connections here. Uh, Burton was an Austin High School Bulldog uh, like myself. And I always remember his, um, you know, his all district pictures in the field house or his picture from Syracuse University hanging, hanging proudly there. I remember like coming as a young kid and he was in there working out one day. I guess he'd been home from Syracuse and he was playing that like Cameron song, like Welcome to New York City. <laughs> that, is, that is stuck in my head, man. That moment of seeing this, this kid, this guy who'd gone off and made it at Syracuse. But um, he did a great job, obviously, you know, coaching at Dulles. And then he, most recently, I know he was head coach at Del uh, Del, Va- Del Del Valley, right? So is that still yeah. where he's at, or no? He's at Pflugerville Connolly. Okay, okay. Uh, he was my linebacker coach, and he was the DC when I got hired on. Um, so it was one of those moments where it felt like family. Yeah. Um, but uh, he he taught me a lot. We would uh, have our drop drills, and he would rifle that ball because he played quarterback. At That's Austin, quarterback. Yes, right. At Austin, yeah. He was. He would literally try to break our hands trying to get us ready. Um, and I just remember having to do up downs. I had a cast on my senior year. <laughs> I could not catch one handed. Um, but he's like, if you're gonna catch it in the game, you got to catch it in practice. I remember doing so many up downs with that cast. It turned into one arm push ups. But I love Burton, and uh, I wish him the best at Connolly. Um, great coach. Yeah, some one of my here's one Creech story for me. So I grew up in the district, and uh, I remember my best friend Derek Ruthart and I. We were, we went to Austin College, you know, and we were we were we came back one spring break. I think we were in grad school getting our masters from Austin College, and and one spring break we we uh, he came down to Sugarland and 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 you know stayed with me, and we just went to a bunch of different field houses. And this is back in the day, like not before email, but we weren't so digital. It was more like you just show up. So we just showed up at, at field houses, put on a, a shirt and tie, had our printout resumes. And I, we went to Dulles. One of the, it was one of these stops. And I remember Jim Creech, you know, welcoming us in. And the thing that I just will never forget that he said to us, and he's like, it's spring break. What are y'all doing here? Shouldn't you be down to the beach? <laughs> I just, he was just such a, a nice, friendly, fun guy like that. And I just remember having a good laugh about that. But the thing I remember he told us was, we don't like we're not grinders here you know we work hard but we get it done and like we we make a priority to spend times with our family and you said the word family that it felt like family to you and i just that always stood out to me that that creech said like hey i'm not gonna we're not gonna like work far longer than we have to because we need to you know spend time with our families and i think that's a really i think i didn't realize it at the time being young but now that i've been through you know 11 year coaching career he's so right you know, like we as coaches, we're also human beings. We also have to remember what our real whys are, right? And a lot of times they're at home. It's our family and our loved ones. So can you speak to that? Because I've also noticed that about Dulles. Like there are long people that stay there for long periods of time. Obviously, Creech takes the cake. But I can think of other guys that I've just seen at Dulles for a long time, be it like a Coach Carabine, the boys basketball coach. And then, you know, and so like these guys have been here for long periods of time. My good friend, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Bill Gary, coming okay. home. Yeah, yep, to, to to DHS to take over. I mean, that's a guy that was, you know, your offensive coordinator for a long time. So can sure. let's just talk about that first. Uh what can you talk about that family feel at Dulles? Cause you guys were always a team that I enjoy competing against, both as a player at Austin and as a coach, you know, at, at Ridgepoint and Clements. 
there's a certain blue and gold school that I'd never liked as a player or a coach. <laughs> he probably feel the same way. I see you nodding your head. We'll talk about that maybe later, but you guys were always a real treat, man. And I, I could see like that pride in being that, that original and just, it seemed like a really a great place to be. Um, can you, can you speak to that a little bit? I know Sean Brogan, I don't know if you were in school with him at all, but he's another one of my team player podcasts. One of his coaches. What's up? There, okay. There you go. And so he, he just raved about Dulles high school. So can you just talk about that family feel there? Um, really? I, uh give it credit for uh, the people that have stayed there a long time, whether it's Mark Rosenbaum, uh, Bonnie Beard, um, and really they help hold that culture together Um, because when you're a new teacher, um, they kind of give you the the layout of the land um, and how the dullest way, the traditional way. Um, So it starts in the building, hiring great people. Uh, Mark Faust was the principal that hired me. Um, So and those principals working with uh, the head football coach and the other athletic coordinator really are responsible for setting that tone for family uh, where it makes your students want to come back and your teachers to stay a little longer. Um, And then hiring our own, like hiring Bill Gary back, um, looking for Fort Bend people like Charles Burton, um, like myself, um, trying to keep it in Fort Bend. So it means something. Um, and really, Creech uh, gave me my first opportunity. Um, really, he uh, showed great love to my family and I. Um, as a young coach, that's where I started my family. My boys go to Dulles Elementary. Okay. Um, so they're, they're Vikings. Um, so it's just that mentality. Uh, my wife works at Dulles High School. Um, so we really made it a family thing. Um, that's because of Creech showing me love um, as a a young athlete when I was in high school, really kind of showing what it takes to be really a focused person, athlete, really a man. So, you know, and, and coach Brogan talked about that. What you just said, he talked about how like coach Creech instrumental, like basically in like learning how to become an adult and a man, you know? And so that's funny that both of you have gone through that program and you both echoed that same sentiment. So it's honestly pr- really cool kind of eerie and, and cool that you're both saying the same thing. So I can, I can tell coach Screech was stressing that to you, to y'all, you know, it really comes through. Now, one, one interesting thing, you mentioned Lamar consolidated. One kind of cool thing about Lamar consolidated, as far as I know, like they're one of those districts where, you know, your, your, your junior high, at least is definitely on the same campus as the high school. Dulles is like this. Now, most of Fort Bend is not the, the high school standalone, the middle schools are in different locations. You have multiple middle schools coming into your high school. So it becomes difficult as a, as a high school coach to understand your feeders and to get down there and like implement your game plan because, or your, your, your strategy, um, because this middle school, the, the students are going to split to different high schools. You guys had yeah. kind of a cool, unique advantage of, as far as to my knowledge, you're the only campus in Fort Bend that has the element has definitely the middle school and the high school together, but you also have the elementary school. You just mentioned your kids. That's really cool to be able to just walk down to the junior high or middle school and, you know, and, and check on the kids or even take your football players to go talk to the elementary school kids. Like we did that at Ridgepoint, but we had to get on a bus, you know, and we would like, we did some pep rallies with like the little kids and some stuff like that. So can you speak to that? It's gotta be a huge advantage as a coach. I can only imagine. I mean, you're the only one in Fort Bend that has it. So can you kind of speak to that unique dynamic amongst Fort Bend high schools at Fort Bend ISD schools. I think it's a benefit of being the oldest school. It's kind of like when there, it was yeah. truly a one horse town, it was built this way. What was that like? Well, as a, I was a community service coordinator 
uh, for a little bit. And our goal was to bridge the gap between the middle school, the high school, as well as the elementary. Um, with the high school, we tried to get down to see our athletes. Um, we would have practices at the, the middle school basketball gym for basketball, um, soccer. We would go down there and help them. Um, we tried to get around those athletes as much as possible. Um, this way they know what it means to wear that red uh, helmet or don the, the Dulles Vikings on, across their chest in their uniform, um, really to show them love. Doc Brown, um, who's their head principal, is doing a really good job at Dulles uh, Middle School in helping bridge that gap, as well as uh, um, Mr. Haas at the elementary school. We would go open car doors, um, yeah. help teachers, because a lot of our students came from Dulles Elementary because there's we only have two or three elementaries. Right. Um, it, we wanted to give back to our community. We started a literacy program um, where our athletes went and read to the kids. So it's really trying to get around the community members as much as possible. So when you do have to ask for things, um, they know that you're worth it. Um, so I love that small community. It's almost like a private school where everyone is right there. Um, because the Dulles community is about 30,000 strong. Um, if you go to Dallas and you're wearing a Dulles shirt, someone probably will say, oh, my uncle or grandparent or somebody went there. Um, just because it's a, such a huge community. Um, and having all three campuses there as a coach, it helped um, see your athletes. Um, you can go watch their middle school school games just by walking across the parking lot um, and seeing them play and getting around them. Um, and I think it meant something to the kids. Oh, Coach McCormick's there. Oh, he's football coach. Like yeah. they would show out and do a little bit uh, extra, try to get notice. Now I got to ask about this rivalry aspect. Cause I kind of, I teased it earlier and I want to ask you about this because for me, we talk about family, like the head coach at Elkins for a long time recently, and he just retired was Dennis Brantley. And he was my track coach at Austin high school. And I love that man. Like him, coach Kitterman, my old line coach and coach Brantley, my track coach. Those I had great coaches at Austin. All of them were excellent, you know, including coach Stewart, you know, my head coach, but you know how sometimes like the head coach, it's a little further removes. You don't get spent as much time, you know, like I really developed, you, you developed a real, real strong relationship with your, your position coach. And then coach Brantley was my head track coach. And I threw the shot and I did. I, I, I wanted so hard to be able to, to, make him proud of me and i remember at the beginning of track season he said kobe i need you to throw 50 this year and at the time i was maybe throwing low 40s going into my senior year i was like come on coach i threw it one time coach and i did it at district i threw 50 feet five and one half inch and i was that was like it made my life to just be able to run over to coach brantley tell him what i did all that said as a player at austin i didn't like playing elkins <laughs> <laughs> for whatever even though we're really far apart it just became kind of a bitter rivalry uh we had some elkins players we speculate after our game and come and like slash some tires at the you know some of that kind of stuff you know after a game and then when we got to ridgepoint the rivalry really ratcheted up because we're just right there in that same community half of our kids are coming from elkins the other half from hightower you know where you are now and so it was just such a bitter rivalry you know amongst the, the players and the communities now dulles you're right there too and when I talked to Brogan about this, you know, he, he from, he's from Elkins. So those are his friends. I guess maybe he didn't see it as such a fierce rivalry, but I'm curious for you as, as just a Dulles guy, was Elkins the big rival that you, that you circled or was it Clements? I know I mean, also is right down the street. I'm just curious, who was your rival? I always like to ask this question amongst Fort Ben ISD people. It's two different answers. Okay. As a player, 
it was Elkins. Right. Just because I they opened up and a lot of their students went to Elkins or uh, Bella students went to Elkins. Um, we had um, the quarterback, um, I believe his name was Christian at the time. Uh, had a lot of friends at Dulles, so we we wanted to put it to him because he yeah. used to he went to Dulles Middle and then moved. Um, but that was our rivalry in when I was in high school. Now when I graduated and came back, we didn't play Elkins for a little bit because they were in a lower classification. Okay, um, and Clements was always a rivalry, um, yeah. but it wasn't as volatile as Elkins. Right. Uh, but when I was coaching, Clements was the one that would always give us a hard game. It could be an 0-10 year for Clements. Yeah. But they would fight tooth and nail to try to beat us. Right. Uh, and always give us a fit. I remember, I think we had Maurice Smith. Um, it might have been his junior year. Clements wasn't very good, and they upset us. Yeah. Uh, so it was one of those moments where Clements could beat you anytime yeah. against Dallas. Um because of that rivalry, that energy, um, crazy things happen when we would play Clements. Um, so I would say Clements is probably the overall rivalry with the longest tradition. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, that, that totally makes sense. Um, and I, I think back to, again, because the cool thing is I also got to play against Coach Creech. And the thing <laughs> that I remember was Dulles actually kind of hit a low point when I was in high school. And prior to that, they had guys like uh, Damian West and Sean Washington. I mean, they had like some like national All-American type guys, had some good seasons. Coach Creech talked about those guys, uh, especially Sean Washington on his podcast for the GHFCA. But I think it was my junior year, Dulles actually hit 0-10. And I, I see you nodding your head, so you kind of know some of this history. And, you know, for me, like, my, like I told you, my first ever year coaching was 13-1 with Clemens. My last year as head coach at Aldine, 0 and 10. So it's coaching is funny like that. You're you're around long enough. You kind of see it all. So I've experienced an 0 and 10 season. And so I kind of know what coach Creech experienced there. But the thing I remember going into my senior year was all the kids at Dulles, they were wearing t-shirts that said moo fly on them. And that stands for make up for last year. It was an acronym make up for last year. And they had some guys coming. They had a quarterback named Hendricks O'Taylor. They had a big defensive end named Tim Washington. And so they got, they beat us my senior year after the year before we drubbed them and they went 0 and 10, they beat, they beat us our senior year. So um, I'm just kind of curious, like, have you as a coach ever experienced an 0 and 10 or I'm curious on that. (laughs) So with uh, my first two years, kind of like yours, we went to playoffs. We had Maurice Smith, um, and I was like, man, I was on the last playoff shirt when we played Pearland um, against Fozzie Whitaker and Sam Proctor. I was like, man, I'm just a good luck charm. I've been on the last three playoff shirts. Yeah. Um, then as a coach, as soon as we hit those two playoffs, we lost to Manville, um, Reese Smith, uh, senior year. And then shortly after that, we go five and five. We had Remus Bulmer. Remus last year at Dulles and Jamil Richmond Cook. Panther legend, but also Dulles Viking legend. Yeah. <laughs> so they they leave right after the season, and we Creech retires, and right. we get Oshler Fleming, and we went zero and ten, and so that was our oh, year. Right, I do remember that now. Okay, because you're transitioning a new head coach, trying to right. get buy in, and you go zero and ten. Um, and it was a tough year. We were starting a lot of sophomores. Right. Uh, and kind of starting over different type of offense, but that O and 10 year was tough. A lot of long nights, a lot of, uh, uh, just kind of feeling alone. 
Yeah. Uh, when you go to Big Ten, it, it hits the kids hard, but it hits the coaches hard because we, we coach to win and we coach to develop young men. And it's hard to do that when you don't get the buy-in um, because they don't have the record that they wanted. Absolutely, Coach. And I, we, you know, Dulles and where I was at Aldine both have rich histories. I mean, it's old heads around Houston when they think yeah. of 90s football. The Dulles Vikings, you know, that that beautiful red helmet with the white horn and the white face mask, or maybe it was blue. I, I remember. I think it was white at that time, but it's changed a couple times. It's changed, yeah, several different iterations. I like the white face mask with the red personally, but I, I don't want to get sidetracked. We'll see what Bill, what Bill Gary does. I hope he brings back the horn because I, I like that. I like the old school Dulles Vikings. We'll kind of see what he does because Dulles really, they're known for red. But when I was in high school, it's red with blue trim, right? And so that, I think that is the classic Dulles look, a royal blue trim. But I'm curious, do you have any insight on that since you've kind of been around the pro? Because hasn't the Dulles uniform kind of changed a lot over the years? So when I was in high school, we had like a, it was supposed to be royal blue face mask, but it was almost like a Carolina blue face mask, right. almost like a Madison type look. Correct. Yeah, uh, yeah. So then we went to white face mask. Yeah. Um, then red face mask. It was like during Lots of change. my yeah. high school time, we went through three face mask change. So if you're a freshman, you had like a blue face mask. <laughs> right. Um, JV had a white face mask. And then seniors, we were red on red. Um, when I was on varsity, we had red on red. Yeah. Um, then Fleming um, changed it out, and I think he went with um, a different logo. Um, right. on the side of the helmet. Matt Helmet, cool-looking Matt Helmet with gray face mask, um, but it, it didn't go well with the community because the horns were really – I like uh, the horns, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm a horn guy. Um, I, w- I would love for us to have white helmets with white face masks with uh, like a chrome or red horn. Okay. Um, I've been trying to get that one with uh, Coach Bird, with guys. I would always try to get the, hey, what if we had two helmets? Let's get one alternate. Sure. Um, and they they would always laugh. Um, but we had a cool horn with the 60-year uh, logo on it because our school celebrated 60 years. Um, so the horns are pretty much a staple. Um, so I'm interested to see what Gary does if he goes traditional. Um, but I've been told to tell you it's royal blue. So when we yeah. went Navy and there was some stuff in the community, they didn't like the Navy jersey. I remember that. I, I also, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking so, about. So now it's like a written rule. You cannot wear Navy on homecoming. It has to be red. And you know so, what, man? I just, I, I kind of, I really, and I, I fans of the show know I nerd out about these little things. Cause I just, that's how I am. I love these talking about these little things, but like I said, with Dulles and Aldine, old heads are going to know, like, those are some of the powerhouses in the 90s, right? Like, making yeah. trips to the Astrodome deep into the playoffs. And we both experienced the same thing. Like, I've, I, I'm at Aldine High School, the 1990 state and national champion. Here we go going 0-10. You know, Dulles, been to the state title in 1991. Here you are sitting through an 0-10 season, and it's just kind of bizarre, right? Because there is a lot of pride and expectation in the community. And, you know, times change, demographics change. And it, it, it's it's just strange. But we saw the same thing at, at Aldine, where if you go back and watch those tapes from 1990, it is a Columbia blue. It's kind of like a North Carolina look. They, they had yeah. Columbia blue jerseys. And whatever happened over time, Navy started creeping in there. And then it turned to Royal. And so when I got there, 
my first order of business was to, I ordered a, like a 1990s retro style looking uniform. And I, I love that, man. I thought we looked so clean. I'm just a big traditionalist. So for the Vikings, man, Bill Gary, if you're listening, I hope you take it back to the 1990s and just give us the old red and royal blue. <laughs> just give us our, our horn that we want as traditionalists. But uh, I have no dog in the fight, but I, I'm, a, I'm a, as a fan of Dulles. So now one more thing I wanted to ask you, man, because Another memory I have, another conversation I had with Coach Creation. I can't remember where this was or where I heard this, but when I played against Dulles, and I sound like an old man again, but when I played against <laughs> Dulles, they were a wing T team. You know, they we, all of us are pretty much running the wing T at that time. And I remember Coach Creech saying wherever he was, maybe I, I was just overheard him talking to somebody else, or I can't remember the story, but he basically said back in the day, you know, they used to always be running the football and the fans in the stands, like throw the ball, throw the ball. <laughs> and he said, finally, he's just like, Okay. <laughs> so he switched, he switched to the spread, started throwing. He's like, yeah, I got the parents off my back, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, a little twinkle in his eye. And he also talked about how like, you know, kids didn't have fun running like their, you know, their, their, their veer mesh steps in the off season, but they had a lot of fun throwing the football around in the off season. So they got better in that regard, but you were there, you said you were there for Cotton Turner. And so that was kind of the pinnacle of like that offense. I guess Bill Gary, I assume was your offensive coordinator. And I mean, my question is, were you always like when you got there as a freshman, had you already started the transition to spread or did you begin as like a wing T fullback your freshman year? No, um, we, we were, we were spread when I got there. Okay. Uh, okay. It was just in the beginning years. We, we went a little air raid. There was a lot of times where we went five wide, had no running back. Um, but we had some really good uh, receivers. Um, Daryl Stone was yeah. a good receiver. Um, Chad Forkney. Fortnit um was mentioned by Cam Newton when he went to Super Bowl. They played a blend together. Yeah. Um, so Grant Merritt, we had some really good both of those guys went to Sam later. Um, but we had a lot of receivers. Um, so it was easy for Cotton Turner to light up the record books throwing um the ball around. And playing defense were, uh that type of offense was easy. Um, I hated being on the field so quick, but when we can score in 22 seconds, yeah, I'll take it. Absolutely. Um, so when I went to college, I'm like, oh, I want a more traditional offense. I want them to eat up clock. Um, so I was like, I want a team that runs pro. And I get there and uh, three and out takes the same amount of time as us scoring in 20 seconds. And I'm still on the field. Agreed. But now I don't have the advantage. Um, I totally agree with you, man. The time of possession. <laughs> a lot of coaches want, you know, want want a style of offense, like you said, that's going to eat up time possession, but that is well and good. But if you're not getting first downs in that style of right. offense, it becomes a very big problem for your defense. So <laughs> totally. I remember, remember scores like 40, we scored 61 game. I was like, is this even normal? Like we are throwing the ball, like all over the field, just scoring in like a, a minute. And as a defense, I'm like, all right, we're going back on the field again. Um, so I love uh, playing with that. Our defense motto was Ben, don't break. Just try to pick yeah. the ball off, get over our offense another chance. Now you got to um, – you you are on the defensive side of the ball, so you weren't directly working with this guy I'm about to talk about, but he's a good friend of mine. He came over to Ridgepoint and really kind of helped us. We were getting really good, and then obviously Remus Bulmer <laughs> and Jamil Cook help as well, but – this guy coming over helped also get us to another level and just take our offense to another level. And I'm assuming you may 
I don't know if you worked together at all in your coaching career at all, if you crossed paths with Bill Gary, you know, but Bill Gary is one of my all-time favorite coaches. He was right next door to me in our hallway in the history, the history hallway at Ridgepoint High School. So we would stand outside, you know, during passing periods and talk and low key, if you don't know Bill Gary, I, I think he is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. He has that extremely dry sense of humor, but he is hilarious. And I, I was so happy to hear that he got the job at Dulles. I know for many years, he was Coach Creech's faithful assistant, you know, and then Coach Creech just continued his, his career. It was just so long and, you know, so many years had passed. And eventually, I, I know it didn't work out for Bill to take over Dulles at that time. But now here he is all these years later he's getting that, that opportunity, you know, that I think yeah. he, he's wanted for so long. And so I'm so excited for him, but can you just, can you tell us any stories? Like, uh, do you have any good Bill Gary stories for us? So Bill Gary was the offensive coordinator when I got hired as a freshman coach. Okay. Um, so he put his name on everything. Um, every, um, like electric outlet stuff. Like he was yes. so like organized. Um, yep. and I remember, after he leaves, we're still using his stuff and we're playing Ridge Point. Um, and he's going up to the press box. Hey, do y'all still have my surge protector? Uh, and sure <laughs> enough, we pull it out. It has his name on it. He's like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to need that back. <laughs> that is awesome. man. But he's one of those guys that's super organized. Um, really just a, a fun guy to have in the office because of that humor. Yeah. Um, so it's a side that a lot of people don't get to see they, they sure. see the more serious side of right. it um but i've spent a lot of hours uh with uh coach gary as a freshman coach just trying to soak up as much knowledge as possible um even uh, i didn't coach offense but i wanted to understand what the offensive mindset was as a defensive guy good stuff man so we've taken a little bit of a trip down memory lane since we have a lot in common with the fort bend background i I wanted to hear selfishly a lot of these dullest stories that i was interested in but outside of football you said your second sport was track which we talk about on this show all the time in texas it's an extension of your off-season football program you're a strength conditioning guy so you, you get it and then i didn't know this part i know coach call i've actually I, I know him pretty well you said your senior year you tried soccer to prepare you for college just gotta get, get yeah. yourself in a little better shape. And you're you're at the time your your predecessor, the strength conditioning coach, was Coach Chris Call, and mm -hmm. he was the head soccer coach. I love this. He offered breakfast tacos to try out. So he he entices you with breakfast tacos. You join the team as a senior. I'm really curious. Was this team any good? Like, did you? What was your final record, and how did it turn out? Let me be straight. I had no right to be playing soccer. Um, and being on that team is like, I need someone really just to help with filming. Um, you, it would be great for you to get some conditioning in. Um, I need a defensive player, uh, yeah. to help in practices. Um, and I was like, ah, I don't know. You I'm said someone to help with filming. So you were also like, you're like I was manager, the manager slash as well. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, <laughs> like I was that practice guy that would rough up some of our players just yeah. to get them ready. So when we play a strong team like Austin, that had a good striker. Yeah. Um, but really, I didn't deserve to be on that team. They went to playoffs. We lost to Clear Lake. Wow. Um, but it, it was fun experience just to get out there and do something different. Right. Um, that As a coach, I try to explain that. Um, as a head soccer coach, I had three all-district football players um, on my defense. Um, just getting them to play a different sport, use a different part of their mind. Um, really, the culture that you build in football, 
you can take with you. And I wanted to change the culture in soccer. Absolutely. Um, so I tried to get as many football players who were already in that culture and that mindset that I wanted. Um, but soccer um, was not my first sport, um, but I enjoyed playing it because it caused me to think differently. Um, and really, I had a blast. We went to playoffs. Um, we had Todd Claremont, our kicker, was on that team, really good soccer player. Um, Alejandro Mora, a football player. So um, what Cole taught me looking at soccer is what I applied when I was a head soccer coach. I love that, man. And I, I don't know if you ever, when you were head soccer coach, ever came, if you ever came across Jerry Hurtado, the, the boy soccer coach at Deer Park. But he's a guest. He's an alumnus of ours. And he's also a former football coach. And this is not to say – Football coaches are, are, you know, it's so much better the way that football does it. But I think it is kind of cool when you do bring some of those tenets of what we use in football, and it's just the the how regimented the off season is. Coach Hurtado feels like it's a huge competitive advantage uh, for his it soccer is. teams, and yeah, so you, you're you're echoing. So I mean, I definitely think again, this is not saying that football coaches like I'm not trying to sound like that or anything, but I think there are elements, like you said, that can strengthen a soccer team. I'm sure there's things that we could take from the from the pitch, you know, to help us but I really like how you were able to kind of seamlessly make that transition another thing that you said and, and again Dulles was your only coaching stop so it's kind of rare again I keep stats coach only so far and this is episode number 75 only 20 percent of my guests have coached at their alma mater so you're in the you're in one of these rare ones and that's your only stop that you had so you you're really you're you're a very unique one but you said also you know within that time you and also like me you coached football track basketball girls and boys so i i have also done that and i loved it and then soccer i never did that but i mean i'm, I'm a big soccer fan myself I'm, i got dynamo and dash season tickets and stuff so i'm i'm a big supporter of the game can't wait for the world cup this year for our u.s women um but let's talk about the coaching man so you strike me so far from our conversation as someone that took his second sport seriously i was the same way you can ask anybody like a lot of times there, there's a little in coaching. Sometimes the, 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 I don't know what the word is, I don't know, stigma or kind of the thing is like sometimes football coaches want to coach track because it, it feels yeah. a easier maybe in a way. I was the opposite. I was always telling Coach Sniffin, like, give me basketball. I, and I, was like, I don't care if we just had this long season. Like, I want basketball. I was obsessed with it. I coached my, my little freshman B team or sophomore teams like the same way I coached our varsity defense at Ridgepoint. It seems like you're kind of the same way. You've coached a lot of different things. I mean, can you speak to that a little bit, you know, for, for uh, you know, being a being a professional coach, a good, yeah. well-rounded coach, like your other sports outside of football, how did you approach that? And did you enjoy coaching both girls and boys in soccer and basketball? Because I really enjoyed it. I love coaching girls basketball. So I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that. So I enjoyed coaching basketball, even though it wasn't my first language, um, but just because it made me think about football differently as well on how the movement and things like that. I could apply it to defense. Um, I enjoyed coaching football, um, but soccer was a love that I didn't know that I had. Yeah. Um, when I was coaching basketball, I coached for Coach Carabine. Um, oh, yeah. And they ran the Princeton offense. Yeah. And I had, we were two rounds deep in the playoffs. Basketball's already starting. Um, he handed me this packet and said, I need you to learn uh, the Princeton offense. I was like, man, I'm coaching sophomores. Um, so I had a really good basketball player, really good leader, um, Kobe Sokoloff. He kind of yeah. helped me. And he's like, hey, coach, we ran circle and chin. Yeah, All right? I remember that. Um, just, just go like this, and we'll, I'll coach you up on how to run it. So I had, awesome. a, I had a sophomore coaching me up on how to run basketballs. 
uh, I bet he turned out to be pretty successful. I mean, that kid just sounds awesome, whatever he's doing now. So his, uh, I believe, I think it's his sister is now the dance coach at Dulles. Um, So it was one of my first years working with a kid. And I'm like, man, whatever you say, I'll do it. I'll I'll get you with the kind of the rah-rah, the timeouts, the the game speed things. But you help me learn these plays. And um, he did. I had a lot of fun coaching that. Um, the difference between girls and boys, really, both of them want to be talked to like athletes. Yeah. Um, I noticed that um, if you think differently, then you're not going to be very successful. Um, both want to win. Both want to be developed. Um, I enjoyed coaching girls basketball under Mark Rosenbaum. Yeah. Uh, he was my mentor. Um, then uh, Coach Simon for one year. Um, then I had an opportunity to go coach uh, girls soccer under one of your buddies, uh, Austin alum. Uh, David Jackson, the new head coach. Yeah, absolutely. At, uh, yeah. Crawford. Um, so uh, he helped me with uh, coaching girls soccer. I did that for a couple of years. Um, th- those girls enjoyed it. They started lifting. And a lot of girls sports and teams, they don't lift. So once you add that component, it's a different mindset. We had such a tough team, uh, girls soccer-wise. We weren't going to be pushed around. Those girls were strong. Yeah. Um, then – I had the opportunity to go the boys' side uh, with uh, Cotton Dowdy uh, for one year and then uh, be able to take over um, after that, after Coach Cox. And really, all that stuff helped me be a better head soccer coach. Um, Trusting kids, um, creating the culture that football taught me, and really just talking on the athlete level. Um, and putting kids in positions of success on and off the field. A couple things I want to touch on there, Coach. Mark Rosenbaum, and that, that was a name I couldn't remember earlier. I, I apologize. That, because I, I do see him whenever I broadcast games of Roger Smith because he he is the guy that's doing like the loud, the uh, the PA at Mercer Stadium. You know? And I just love that about Mark. You know, he's just such a nice guy. He'll always shout out our, our Vite broadcast, you know, uh, over the loudspeaker. But he's a great guy, man. Been doing it a long time. But also you mentioned David Jackson. I remember talking to Deb Mize on one of our recent episodes. She's an assistant athletic director in Fort Bend ISD. And I, I remember her telling me that like that, uh, that experience coaching the girls at Dulles, it helped in the selection of David Jackson as the athletic coordinator at Crawford high school, you know, because he, it, just, it just showed his, his range and his depth, right? Mm-hmm. Like the ability to coach any athlete, any student at a high level, that's a selling point. You know, I think sometimes co- football coaches need to be careful trying to silo themselves or just fancying themselves as a football guy and, and not yeah. taking their second sport seriously. Like that is not going to be, it's going to be frowned upon by the people, the powers that be that are making these hiring decisions. Like I really feel strongly about that. So you're someone as well. You've advanced in your career. You're now an administrator and you took your second sport uh, seriously. So I did, I just wanted to highlight that. Do you want to add anything to that? But I, just, I did want to highlight that, that I have had an AD tell me that his soccer girls soccer coaching experience helped him get a head head football athletic coordinator job. So the way that Jackson approached it, he approached it just like they were football players, coached Absolutely. him as an athlete. And that was the biggest lesson that I learned under him is that the girls want to be pushed. They want to be challenged. Um, and when you do that, you build that fierce culture that you want. Um, so that's what I learned from Jackson. Just um, don't treat girls different because they're girls. They still had the same skill. They still want to be pushed, Absolutely. driven. Um, so I really enjoyed working uh, with Jackson because we're both football coaches. But when we got to soccer, 
it was different conversations and really that helped uh, both of us there's times where we would be after soccer practice talking about how we're going to be leaders and how he's going to be a head football coach and how I'm going to be a principal yeah. Um, and now we're both, it all happened. Um, we, we keep up with each other weekly and just kind of share thoughts and podcasts with each other. But, um, I'm really proud of, uh, Jackson and the opportunity that he has. Um, I know he's going to do well. So you're a big podcast guy. Cause I noticed when we started chatting on messenger, you, you brought it up to me like, Hope, are you hosting a podcast now? And I was like, I'd love for you to be a guest, but can yeah. you sp- do, it seems like you're a big podcast consumer as am I, I, I was a big podcast consumer and I started saying like, hey, I could do this, you know, and talk about the stuff that interests me and my circle of people. And it's, it, here we are. We started this uh, in March of 2022 and we're still going. Episode number 75. Haven't missed a single week, you know, but can you speak to your love of podcasts and maybe uh, some of the ones you're interested in? So it started with a, a coaching buddy, uh, Tiff Myers, the offensive coordinator at Crawford. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to get into leadership. I'm doing all sorts of things. He said, first of all, leaders are readers. Um, and I was like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so as I started reading more leadership books, podcasts kind of was sure. an extension. Um, I have a 30-minute commute to work to Hightower. So I try to consume as many podcasts in the morning as possible. Um, this way, it, it transitions my mindset into really – about the culture of the campus that we want, um, that Mr. Roberson that preaches about. And Another really coach. Want. He coached my Another brother, Corp and Travis. So I definitely know Andre yeah. Roberson. Absolutely. And that was one of the lures is the the having a coach as your administrator. Hightower absolutely. has quite a few coaches um, in their administration um, team. So that was one of the lures that attracted me to Hightower. Um, but Really, the mornings are the best time for podcasts, really getting your mindset re- ready for the week. Um, so John Maxwell, um, there's a lot of good um, leadership podcasts uh, that he does that I enjoy listening to. Well, Stephen, man, I hope you add the team player podcast rotation to your queue. You go ahead and you know you know how to do this because you're a veteran to hit that Correct. follow button and then give us the five stars. But no, so that's how I knew. I yeah. I was like, man, I'll check it out because yeah. the time that we spent together, um, I love the I call it local podcast people sure. that I know just right. kind of getting out there, being a former communication major myself. Um, I really just enjoy when people are taking their love and passion for sports and applying it to different avenues. And you mentioned that you coach sophomore basketball because I I know we, we we would run into each other quite a bit and I I think it's the basketball we probably went head to head a couple of times because I was often doing sophomore basketball as my second sport so I'm sure we had some good battles there and I I remember playing Dulles it was always circle and chin all the time <laughs> so. because it's the only two plays I knew there's right. like twenty more <laughs> okay so. coach the last couple of things here on your resume from Dulles you know you, of course you were assistant head coach for football we talked about that. Um, you were the head boy soccer. We talked about that before you left to be an AP at Hightower, but also you were the strength and conditioning coordinator. And this is another little kind of niche genre that I'm really interested in. I think is extremely important. I'm a big Michigan football fan. I've heard coach, uh, coach Harbaugh say that, that, uh, coach Herbert, you know, their, their, their strength conditioning coach is the most important assistant coach on the staff. I would tend to agree that strength coaches are so important and I'm, I'm almost 40 years old now, but I've, I've got a rig inside of my garage that I work in every morning. I do CrossFit and Olympic lifting, and I'm just a big believer in it. I always have been. What 
what can you say just for any any little morsel you can give us more on the strength conditioning aspect? And I always get nervous whenever I hear any time where people are trying to roll back athletics or fine arts or anything. And now you're a principal, you, you see how important having high level extracurriculars are to get students involved. So I think strength conditioning coaches are necessary. I'm sure there are some people out there be like, what? You need a coach just to teach weightlifting? That, that's not necessary. Completely disagree, personally. But can you just speak to that that genre of the the strength and conditioning component of it? So it was not first nature. Um, I was leading it for soccer and things like that, other sports. And uh, Coach Berg, head coach at Dulles at the time, was like, hey, we have an opportunity. I see the results and the data that you're getting from other teams. Um, can you apply that to football? Um, and I said, sure. So I started using data to drive me uh, to data and research-based uh, practices. And that really changed the culture of our football team. Um, it really, our guys' numbers went up, but they were healthier, healthier and more fresh. Mm-hmm. I worked in conjunction with um, Coach Spencer, um, athletic trainer, yep. and yep. we would reduce injuries. And then eventually the district got word that we were using different systems and taking notes and using research. And they started a pilot program um, where we're trying to get more strength and conditioning certified coaches in Fort Bend ISD. Absolutely. Um, So I believe it is necessary and it changes the culture. Um, Really, there's a stigma or stereotype that it's only football coaches. Um, But as a part of the pilot program, I was working with volleyball. I was working with uh, girls soccer, boys soccer. Um, I was working with dance, cheer, um, really, because it's an outlet for stress-reduced injury prevention, which means kids are more in class um, because they're not at medical centers getting treatment and things like that. Um, So we really, we did a a pretty, pretty awesome thing, really getting kids engaged in the culture, injury prevention. Coach Soto at Hightower is a part of that program. And he's Can you describe this program more to me? Because I'm not I'm not familiar with this. So, so this the, is a Fort Bend ISD-led initiative. initiative. Yeah. Um, so we're working with Methodists to try to get yeah. more of our coaches um, certified in strength and conditioning. Did you, so did you go through that and get some kind of NSCA certification or something? So, believe it or not, I was getting ready for the test. And then I had an opportunity to become administrator. Sure, sure, sure. Um, So really now kind of changed. I I didn't get the certification because everything was happening so quickly. Um, But it was with um, Coach Mize and uh, Coach Scott and um, Coach Williams. Uh, We were just really trying to find a way that our athletes would be taken care of. All athletes, female athletes, male athletes, it doesn't matter. Um, and really getting data on injury prevention. Um, so that was the big thing. And then making sure we were providing maybe a coach, an athlete, multiple athletic periods so they can help train. This makes um, sense, coach, because like you were teaching history, correct? Mm-hmm. So you are not a full time strength conditioning coach, but correct. this is like Fort and ISD and, our, and, and uh, Dina and Deb, you know, gathering data yeah. probably to justify eventually making it a full-time position. Cause I know like Katie, I'm in Katie now and I'm my good friend, Jimmy Hammond at seven lakes. I think they have a full-time strength conditioning coach. Yeah. And so doesn't teach classes. I, I, you know, and so I guess that that's maybe the push long-term is once we can justify it, maybe Fort Bend will try to follow suit. Correct. That's kind of the, the aim of the program. Right. Um, and at the base level is making sure that we don't just have coaches doing what we used to do because that was what we went through. Correct. Usually- yeah putting research and science and making sure our athletes are healthy. 
Um, we don't want to run our athletes ragged. We want them as fresh as possible. Let me ask you just one. I know we've gone way over on the Dulles thing, but again, I just have a lot of interest in it because Dulles, Dulles is one of those rivals of mine that I always kind of liked and, and admired, you know, from a distance as a player and coach. As a broadcaster, I kind of got to watch a resurgence a little bit, and you were there with Coach Geist, and I mean, uh, was Miles Hurd was your star safety, right? And uh, who was the kid that went to A&M? Anias Smith. Anias, Smith. yep, Anias Smith, right? And you, you really were on the verge of winning a district title. Uh, you know, like came up just short against Travis, I believe, right? You lost a close one to Travis, Correct. I think. There was like. 12, 13 touchdowns scored between the two teams. I, I did uh, that game with Roger Smith and that, yeah, that was just an incredible game. But I mean, that was really cool. And, and Coach Geist were, uh, went to Alamo Heights, you know, but he just seemed like a, he was someone I really enjoyed and he enjoyed the media coverage. Like he's a guy that could walk into his office and talk about it. He would like, you could tell he enjoyed like, you know, talking about the upcoming opponent, giving us some, some information we could use in our broadcast. But can you just talk about that season or Coach Geist or just what it felt like? Because you said you've been through an 0-10 season, but to kind of yeah. get back to Dulles, to feel like Dulles again, you know, and what was that like? There was a lot of anticipation on that season because we had been noticing Anias since seventh grade um, because he has brothers with Maurice. Um, yeah. So there had been a playoff drought. Um, Coach Geist comes in and Coach Geist is a former offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, has state experience. Um, so he really made sure that we were organized and we were ripe for the opportunity. Um, so we could capitalize on Miles Anias Hookbin, who went to UT as a lineman. Yeah, six foot five um, offensive tackle. I remember him. Yeah. So um, really, every week was we just didn't want to let Anias down. We didn't want to let Coach Guys down. We were just yeah. um, there was a lot of hours there because we just didn't want to mess it up. Um, so we were trying to prepare the best game plans to put our players in positions of success. Um, during the season, it was very tense. As I look back, it was an awesome experience. Yeah. Um, as a former Viking um, football player, it was awesome to get back to that point. Um, but as a coach, like I couldn't celebrate it because every week was someone's trying to steal a win from you. And I didn't want to let uh, Coach Geist down or our defensive coordinator at the time, Austin Lancaster, down. Austin um, Lancaster, so yep. So yeah. I was just trying to do everything possible to put us in positions of success. You know, and I, I think about that too, because it's the weight of expectations. And I've been a part of a season like that. when we had Remus and all them as a senior, and we're mm -hmm. supposed to be a really good team. And I always tell this story, you know, coach Sniffin's my mentor, man. I love him. He's, he is such a great coach, but he coaches hard. And I always tell the story, like the weeks that were the worst for me was whenever we were playing like Northbrook or Springwoods. Or I remember one year we're playing Bush and they had a really down year. And like, those are the worst weeks for me because he, it's kind of like, a, I think Coach LaFavors, the, the current Ridgepoint coach, he talks about a saying of like, you, you got to win the ones you're supposed to win. Like you can, a good coach is never going to allow yourself to be upset. Right. And so these games that we were supposed to win, Coach Sniffin did, because, you know, naturally the kids might let up a little bit in practice. Coach Stephen was not going to allow that. And it made for a very uncomfortable week of practice, but that's good coaching. And so, yeah. but yeah, sometimes I remember one year at Mercer, we beat Bush, like, I don't know, 40 to six or something. And I, I felt like after the game, I'd done a bad job just because coach Sniffin demanded such high levels of play in those games. And so anytime we give up a first down or something, it just was on the headset, you know, chewing out and getting us fired, you know, trying to get us going. But um, it's funny in the, in the hardest games, like the games we gave up the most yardage, he was your biggest ally 
and telling you, hey, you're doing good. You're doing because he understood like in those tough games, like you're you're not gonna just stonewall people. But can yeah. you I don't know? I just wanted to I always share that story. And it sounds like you because it's it's tough. You guys did have good players that year, but at the same time, I thought you were super well coached. I, I just think you had a couple stars, but maybe overall you weren't just gonna overwhelm people. And you know, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. easy to have the kind of season that you did. So, and I guess last thing I'll say before I turn it over to you, I love seeing that, man. Like what Clements is doing now under Bobby Darnell you know, and like going, they're going for their third straight playoff parents. Like I love these teams that have hit the zero and 10, like Clements has hit zero and 10 yeah. with Bobby, you know, and I, I lived it at, at Aldine. Like someday if Cirillo Ojeda can get Aldine back, like those are the stories I love. And I believe Cirillo is the guy to do it. Dulles, you guys hit zero and 10, but to see you come back as much as I love the Ridge points and the high towers of the world yeah. that are just perennially good. I love it when that team that has been at the bottom of the standings, fights their way back up into the playoffs, man. Like that is the, those are the beautiful years. And so you guys lived it. Cause any final thoughts on the, on the kind of that, that climb back up or any, any last thing about that season, the expectation? Well, we, we had great coaches. I just mentioned a couple of them uh, that are head coaches now in the district. Yeah. Um, really it was the proving ground. We were all trying to make sure we didn't let guys down. Um, guys was very knowledgeable and he had high expectations. Um, and we worked hard. Um, and I think we, we had some great coaches that wanted to be leaders and they were going to do what it took. Um, they weren't going to say, that's not my job. That's not my title. Um, but we were all working as if we were the head coach of our position. Um, and I think that drove us to be where we are now. Um, and so, um, I'm very appreciative of that opportunity and it was, like I love seeing Clement succeed, but part of me it hurts. Mm. Um, Darnell's an awesome dude. Um, I love seeing him succeed because he has that mentality of we're going to do what's right, whether it's zero and ten or thirteen and one. Um, but we're going to do what's right. So when we have that talent, now we can go to the moon. Absolutely. Yeah. So. And I, I, I lied. I got one more question for you on Dulles and I'm going <laughs> to, I swear I'm going to move on, but I knew cause we have so much, th these episodes where I kind of have a, a common background yeah. of the guests, they go long. So I, uh, you know, our, our diehards are going to love this episode, but you know, one thing that interests me that always interests me is the, is when a, a team, cause I thought I toyed at this at Aldine whenever we went two and eight my first year. And I said, man, we were a little bit of a talent differential, a little bit of a depth dif differential. I need to, we need some kind of offense that is hard to prepare for. And so I toyed of going to the flex bone. I went down to Port Lavaca Calhoun, you know, and I, I studied that offense under Richard Whitaker, who's a, a former Aldean, former coach at Aldean High School. And he was very gracious. And Nate Schallenberger, which a guy we'll talk about here in a second when we get to your high tower portion, was my offensive coordinator. So Nate and I went together. We spent, we stayed, stayed the night down there in Port Lavaca uh, at, at Coach Whitaker's house. We couldn't pull the trigger because as much as we loved it all and we said, this can help us. We just felt like you, you got to know that kind of offense inwards and outwards. All of us got to know how to coach it. If we're going to make that jump and we just, we weren't ready. Coach Schallenberger assured me, he's like, Coach Kokobo, like I, the first year we went in there, we were trying to play with tempo. And we put up some points. We did pretty, we actually would put up like 28 points here and there for a team that went two and eight and have some good outputs, but we're also giving up 70. And yeah. I remember my, my boss, Richard Delgado and Dre Thompson, now the current AD, like they're, they're probably thinking, Kobo's supposed to be a defensive whiz kid from Ridgepoint. Like, what the hell do we hire this guy for? They're giving him 70 <laughs> points a game. So we realized we had to slow down. Schallenberger promised me, hey, I can, in our current offense, which is just, a, you know, multiple, more modern style offense, like yeah. we can still run the football. We can still control the clock. Like I can, I can do those things. And he delivered for me. We, I thought we, even though we went 0-10, 
I thought we coached better the second year, just the results didn't go our way. You, I mean, you get it. Sometimes you just don't have it, you know, but I'm just curious for you. Cause Dulles, I didn't get to watch a lot of this, but from what I understand, you guys maybe went to like the wing T or the slot T even. I, I don't, I, I didn't get to call a lot of your games. I, I had heard that kind of through the grapevine. Were you a part of that for a year? I'm just really so fascinated so, by those styles of offenses. So we went to kind of a slot T wing T look okay. um, and it was a hard sell. Um, we we just didn't have the the athletes like Gerald Stoneham, Cotton Turner sure. um, that Dulles once knew. So we had to try to get an edge. Um, so Coach Bird, Coach Jackson really studied. Coach Myers, who's the OC at Crawford, really studied kind of that mentality. Um, it wasn't it wasn't easy transitioning. Sure. Um, and I thought our kids we're starting to kind of develop that mindset because it takes a mindset, the the yeah. slot T or the wing T mafia um, of Liberty Hill. It takes yeah. a rough and tough mindset to get in there and go. Um, and I think we just didn't get the complete buy-in that we wanted. Sure. Um, these kids wanted to throw the ball hard. It's times. easier the other way, right? It was easier for coach yeah. preach to go from wing T to, to spread right to air yeah. raid, the, the easier sell. I get you. Yeah. So, but it's the same mindset that, we built in the weight room um, that we're going to get every set, every rep. Um, we're going to go hard, um, be tough in the trenches. Um, and that's the wing team mindset. It's tough to sell. Um, so um, I don't know what coach Gary's going to go to. I think he's probably going to change it up a little bit um, from the wing tee, just because um, we were controlling the clock at Dulles. Um, that was the whole goal yeah. um, to push teams uh, to their limits. Um so it'll be interesting to see what coach Gary does. Um, but I enjoyed the, the wing T um, just because I love the, the tight end, the fullback, just the different roles. Cause it's smash mouth football. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I'm with you, so, man. It reminds me a little more of like when I went again, when I was playing in the, in the early two thousands, that kind of more what it looked like, but now that wing T mafia, that slot T mafia, I guess, mafia, I guess I should say like, it is an exclusive club. Like this is not something you just show up to your regular GHFCA clinic and it's up there on the, on the whiteboard, right. Or on the, right. Or on the projector. So did, did, did Jackson have to go learn a secret handshake and get in? <laughs> How did him and, and Tiff like learn, learn the stuff for this? So they, they had to go to, they went to a couple clinics, but oftentimes we would go visit campuses and just sit down with coordinators, yeah. um, kind of round table discussions. Yeah. Um, and the hardest part is you can implement the offense, but having the answers when they slide that two I in sure. uh, to head up. Um, and that's the part where it takes some when, with knowledge. OK, if they're doing that, then we're going to counter the other way or we're going to false pull. Um, and wow. that was the part that was probably the toughest is sure. not just learning it, which is a task in itself, but knowing what to do when that defensive coordinator has an answer what is your counter i love that now and i mean i gotta get i gotta get jackson on this show so yeah that that sparked especially all you guys from dulles are all kind of into podcasts i hope i can get jackson uh and the oc uh tiff you said what's the last name myers tiff myers so hopefully get them on the show too perhaps but do you think they're gonna bring this the slot t out to crawford any any thoughts there or do you have any insights i try not to talk too much x's and o's but i think they're they have some athletes I think sure. they're going to be a, multiple fronts. Um, sense, yeah. I think they're going to be able to, because Jackson always wanted to be able to shift out of things. He right. wanted to be able to pass the ball. Um, so I, I think we're going to see a lot of different 
uh, sets with the tight end kind of stuff. But they have athletes. Uh, they have a really good quarterback. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to exclusively stay in the, the winning team. Uh, makes sense. I, I just, I love seeing it though. I always love the alternative offenses. So hope maybe somebody in the district will, will pick up that mantle and that will be kind of fun to watch. Now you go to East Texas Baptist. Another thing we have in common, again, we probably won't talk as, as long about this, but I know ETBU well, it, it's in Marshall, Texas, you know, and that if you, if you don't know, that's just two hours due East of Dallas and about 45 minutes West of Shreveport. So it's almost there on the Louisiana border. I kind of was looking at the map. I just love these cities. Like a lot of them, are, they're on a line on the interstate, just like OKC and Amarillo. You know, there's on that same line right there. But uh, Marshall, uh, they're deep East Texas. I've been there twice to play you know, the ETBU Tigers when I was at Austin College. Do you just want to just speak briefly kind of your experience in college uh, playing football at ETBU? Uh, it was an honor to go there and play. Um, I got recruited as a linebacker. The The coach left and I got a new coach. They kind of moved me down to almost like a nickel um, just because I was kind of an undersized inside linebacker, um, which is what I got recruited for. Um, but my body just couldn't handle it. Um, when it, No matter what level, D1, D2, D3, and AI, it's it's a lot of work. Absolutely. Um, and if you're not going to be a professional about it and take care of your body, um, it, it's going to catch up with you. And it caught up with me. I dislocated my shoulder my last game of high school um, and really didn't go to the treatment that I needed to. Um, and then the first day of pads, I'm running down on special teams and my hamstring, I hear a pop. Mm. Um, so it was, I was behind the eight ball trying to recover uh, and rehab. Um, so I, I hung it up after a couple seasons and um, I admire those who do play D3 football, but it's not cakewalk. Um, all glory to be to God. Um, after that uh, tweet, you better be ready to play some football because no matter what level, it's work. 100%, man. And so sometimes when I hear stories or, or see th- examples of kids maybe not responding to D3 coaches that reach out to them or NAIA coaches or looking down their nose a little bit, like that's a huge mistake, man. And I, I lived it. I was a kid that, you know, was 5A at the time, but it's called 6A now is at the biggest classification at Fort Bend, Austin got first team all district, you know, player as, as a senior. And I, I thought a little bit like that, like I'm going to show up at Austin college and everything's going to be okay because I yeah. play big time football and this is D3. You know, it's just, that's not the case. Like you said, it's still college football. All these players are still the best players from their high school. It's just, we're a little shorter and a little smaller <laughs> and a little slower. You know, we still, we still play ball, man. It's still physical. Like you said, man. So totally agree. Now I always ask this question. When you enrolled at ETBU, did you know that you wanted to become a coach? And again, the the, the data is interesting. For all my guests, sixty percent of my guests here on episode through episode seventy five have said no. They actually were planning on doing some other career. And so I'm curious for you, did you already know you wanted to be a coach? I was a part of the forty percent, I guess. Okay, um, there we go. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> so in high school, I just I knew I wanted to be a teacher because growing up in a single parent household, coaches and teachers really poured a lot into me and I wanted Absolutely. to give back and I want to do that as an administrator as well. Um, really give back to the students and be that support for them. Um, so that's, I knew I was going into education um, soon as I stepped foot on the campus. Very cool. And, I, and again, this leads us into our next segment. It's actually a perfect segue. You know, fans of the show know, and I talk about this in my first time sharing this with you, but like I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. It was not single parent. My parents are actually still married, but you know, my dad was an abusive kind of person, personality, yeah. and it was very traumatic, very like just a lot of stuff every single day of the fighting, you know. And so for me, when I was getting into high school, 
I kind of lost respect for my dad at that time. And I was desperately seeking that male, you know, role model figure that you were the same way for you. And so I really gravitated towards my coaches at Austin. I just thought they were just like gods to me. I mean, I just, I loved all of them. I thought they were just the coolest thing. And so I knew from an early age as well, like I wanted to be around this for the rest of my life. Like this way that this made me feel, I wanted to be around this. And so I knew I was going to, I was going to coach as well, but you know, at Aldine became a head coach at a young age, got burnt out on the administrative side of it, decided, Hey, I'm young. I want to try something different. So I got into sales that thereby got me kind of into the broadcasting and podcasting, which I just love doing, you know, highlighting my friends games and calling those games and stuff like that. But I guess my thing is now that I'm in the stands, man, you know, Steven, it's like, I see so much negative behavior that I, of course I knew about it as a coach, but you're down there coaching, you know, you're a little oblivious to it. Your, your wives probably yeah. know more about it than we did, you know, but it just really pisses me off to be honest with you. Cause like the way that I think about coaches, I hold them on such a pedestal, which is why I do this podcast. And so to hear some of the stuff I hear, whether it's about coaches or officials, I see all kinds of awful stuff or talking about other kids on the team. I just, it really rubs me the wrong way, man. It's, this is, we need more coaches and more officials and the, this kind of behavior is not going to, is not going to help that. So I'm just curious for you, man. Now you're an administrator. You're not the coach anymore on the sidelines. You're probably the one at these games kind of supervising. You're probably yeah. the one that's supposed to go tell parents when they're getting out of line, you got to do that kind of stuff. I, I always tell this story and I want to share with you. Like I was at a basketball game one time, I was setting up at a tournament at foster high school. And so it's a tournament, right? So all different teams coming through, I'm setting up my camera and uh, the people in front of me are real friendly to me and they're talking to me. And so we're chatting and I realized, oh, you're the head coach of your team is, is a buddy of mine. Instantly, their demeanor changes. The dad whips around. He's like, well, we don't like him. He's a terrible coach. And so you might want to close your ears. So you ain't gonna like what you're about to hear. I, I was like, okay. Like I was completely stunned, man. I've never experienced that before. And so the rest of the game, they were awful, coach. They were just so nasty just yelling at the officials in this quiet gym and talking about the kids on the team and talking about every coach coaches every decision i was so close to confronting them but i didn't i thought better of it i'm glad i did i've asked a lot of guests what should i have done a lot of them say hey tell the administrator on on duty you're now that administrator on duty can you talk to us about like how you handle those kinds of situations There's anything you're observing now at our, our present culture around athletics now that you're an administrator anything you're observing and also what can we do as a society to make this better so as an intern i was working at adolis adolis volleyball game and it was pre-game proposals or homecoming proposals and i had uh ronnie edwards was yeah i know ronnie yep. he came up to me uh are you watching or are you administrating and that's always stood out to me yeah. that there's a difference uh, between watching and administrating. Um, I'm out there to support the kids uh, and their success and doing well. And I will cheer and celebrate, but I have to look through a different lens and really kind of diffuse some of those situations um, that might arise. Um, and first of all, you do that with presence. You introduce yourself to the ref, let them know that you're there for them. Um, introduce yourself to the, uh, opponent head coach um, really letting them know that there is that support and the parents have to know the expectations um, and I think you do that by being present at those games invisible not sitting in your car on the, the sideline but kind of yeah, yeah. working back and forth in the stands um, and trying to have conversations before the game hey I'm 
Mr. McCormick. Um, I'm the assistant principal on duty. Um, who's your kid? And they'll say number four. And I say, oh, that's awesome. Um, here at Hightail, we're doing four things. Um, we're trying to build character and leadership um, and teach kids how to love, learn, lead, and serve. Um, and building those connections with parents before the game gets going. And that's what I've noticed helps the most. And I think building relationships um, in and around the sports uh, will allow kind of that. Right now, we're in a tumultuous time. So yeah. I think building relationships is important for admin, um, coaches, with parents, um, not making it us versus them type thing. I love that. You know, I totally, I totally agree with you. And again, you've mentioned Ronnie Edwards. He was the head basketball coach at Kempner for quite a while. He was at Clements also when I was there as an AP. And now he's, I think he's made Creek head principal, I believe, right? He's a, I think he's an assistant soup in KDISD. There you go. Okay. So he moved on from there. And again, you talked about, you've, you've experienced a lot of coaches that move into administration like yourself and Andre Roberson. I believe he's a Kempner grad, if I remember correctly. The Kempner Willard. Kempner right? grad. Kempner he's grad. A okay. Kempner grad and went to Missouri to play football. Yep. Um, then got into teaching and coaching for a while. Um, so we're we're I'm glad to work with him at Hightower um, and just kind of learn from his leadership. No, man, totally agree. He was the defensive coordinator for Travis High School. My brother was there. My brother played on the offensive side, but uh, he was awesome. They had a great defense, you know, that year, but. You know, now you you have a football background, but now you're at these games on Friday nights. Do you do you miss it, Coach? I I, I get that question all the time from people asking me. But like, how how did you feel being on the on the sideline for that thrilling Ridgepoint High Tower game of the year <laughs> here in your that, first year? That game was a little stressful for me yeah. um, because we were all admin on duty. It was a sold out crowd. Yes. So yeah. I told you the difference between administrating and watching. I couldn't really Correct. watch that one as much because there's Correct. a lot of administrating. Um, and so I thought it lived up to the hype. Um, I wish we could have uh, taken care of business and got the win, but um, we circled it on our schedule for this coming year. Um, the hardest yep. game for me was the Dulles versus Hightower game. Right. right. Um, it was an Alvin. It was Hightower's homecoming. And I honestly, I watched that one and yeah. I would hear myself, hey, watch the pool, watch the pool. <laughs> yeah. Like talking to my linebackers I used to coach. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it was hard to separate. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, and all of them showed me love. Um, Trey Richards, um, Justin Foma, a lot of those guys, like we had connections because um, as a coach, that's what you do. And it was hard kind of separating that. Um, I remember celebrating on a huge touchdown from the tight end, uh, Victor Adarangboye. And I'm like, let's go. Oh, whoops. I need to go <laughs> ahead and uh, calm that down. Sure. So, It'd take a little um, bit of time, you know, for that to fade yeah. for sure. <laughs> so then being at the soccer game when my uh, soccer kids played, um, it was it was tough. I was cheering for both teams. Um, it, anytime you have those intimate relationships, it's hard. And so and, I think it'll get easier as the time goes on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It will. And, you know, uh, we like to talk about our alums. And so one of my good friends, you got a guy you work with, he said you kind of share a duty station with him and you talk ball and strength and conditioning. Yeah. Uh, my good friend, Nate Schallenberger is uh, kind of your role, right? He's the assistant head coach. So similar to what yeah. you did at Dulles. And he always just raves about Cornelius Anthony. And I, I knew uh, Cornelius a little bit from his time at Terry and got to talk with him. Just a great guy, uh, Aggie football legend, Elkins high school alum. So one of the, one of the good guys that came out of E's house, you know, but uh, can you just speak to either, either coach shall who's one of our alums or, or, or coach Anthony and just what it's like to have good people leading, you know, your student athletes uh, in, in the program. 
So with Coach uh, Shell, it was nice because as a former coach, I knew the role that coaches played on campus. Um, so really, I wanted to connect with uh, those coaches and Coach Shell and I. We have the same duty area, and we always talk strength and conditioning. We run um, like scenarios by the, by each other. Hey, yeah. if the front and it allows me to go back to my football roots yeah. um, a little bit. And we, we talked about strength and conditioning stuff and who you listening to, what podcasts. Um, <laughs> so I enjoy just kind of that. Shao's a great dude. Um, I don't know how much longer we're going to have him at Hightower because he's a, such a strong leader. Sure. I can see him being a coordinator head coach. Um, coach Anthony's great. Um, I enjoy working with him, um, just kind of being with him and seeing his presence in the halls in the leadership that he builds with uh, our athletes, not just football, but all athletes. Um, and that's something special about Hightowers. Our athletes are our leaders in the building. Absolutely. Now we're kind of getting to the end here, coach. We kind of, we're going to stop talking about the, you know, the, <laughs> the football and the, 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 the school part of it, but just talk a little more about you as far as fun stories. And again, I shared this with you because I live this exact same thing I'm about to read here. But you've met the Hall of Fame Bruce Matthews at an FCA banquet in high school. You were sitting there at a table with Roger Clemens and Mary Lou Retton. <laughs> it was really fancy. And you, you told the story. Um, your sponsor, Johnny Golden, has given a speech. Bruce Matthews had to help you show you which fork to use. I'm the exact same way, Coach. I don't understand what is what. I don't know one of them for salad or whatever. Uh, but that's the first part of your story. So can you, you, the second part is the one I shared with you, but you want to talk about that first one? I mean, the rocket and I, I man, I bet you were sweating bullets. I would have been so nervous. <laughs> I was nervous in the first place because I had to wear a tie. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to use the wrong fork. So at this banquet, um, I'm sitting with all these famous people and they're, they're like talking to reporters in between. I'm like, man, I'm just lucky enough to be here. I'm here because coach golden, um, who coached a little bit in Aldine ISE yeah. as well, yep. um, invited me because he's given a speech and an introduction to Mary Lou Retton. Um, and we're getting all these different platters. I'm, I'm looking around. Obviously, I look lost mm. um, because Bruce said, hey, start from the outside in. Um, awesome. It was just great because the Hall of Famer, like he could have easily sat by himself just kind of focused on the the presentation but talk to me about football Fort Bend ISD mm -hmm. um, really great conversation as a 18 year old um, it was great just to have that connection with them um, then that leads me to my next part yes um, I get hired on and I feel like a GA I feel like I'm just a yeah. freshman coach I get the worst jobs I get to load the trailer end zone camera yeah, and I'm yeah. just like halfway through the season. I'm like, man, why can't I be in the box or why can't <laughs> I get a headset and be on the sideline, be helpful. And I look over and we're playing Elkins. One of his yep. sons is playing yep. and uh, Bruce Matthews is sitting there with the end zone camera. Yep. And I'm like, and we have small talk back and forth. I'm like, if this hall of famer gold jacket wearing guy yeah, can do this yeah. and his kids play then i can i can uh take my bumps and earn my my horns so to speak yeah and film the end zone that's so. too funny coach because i lived the exact same experience my first year at clemens we're playing elkins and i had the exact same job you did and he was the exact same way man he was just so down to earth talk to you a great experience setting up with him and, and, and filming the game with him. So really cool there. As far as your favorite teams, you're a Cowboys fan, man. We have been overrun of Cowboys fans the past several weeks. So 
we're not going to play a Cowboys start bench cut or Mount Rushmore because I've just done so many. But, yeah. uh, you know, we got that. You're a Spurs fan. So how do you feel about Wemby? Are you excited now, Victor Wembanyama? Uh, um, when you have Tim Duncan and the Admiral, um, you have high expectations yeah. for that, that center type role. Um, and I'm going to hold my judgment, making sure that he stays healthy, but I enjoy the pick. Um, I think he can do great things. I just don't want a Greg Oden. Yeah, I hear you, man. And for this last one, and we're going to dive into this one more. You are a diehard UNC fan. Again, I'm rocking an old Brandon Spoon, old in- a linebacker like yourself, uh, number 44. This is my favorite color combo because to me, this is Aldine. If, if I mean, if I could do it again, of course, I went back to like the old Aldine, but like I would almost make it look kind of like UNC also, which is a similar look. I love, and Clements is the same color scheme. I love the Columbia blue with Navy. That to me is the number one color scheme. So North Carolina does it to perfection. Beautiful uniforms. Columbia blue. I'm going to have to stop you there. It's Carolina. You, okay. Blue. So you, you correct me. What? <laughs> Carolina blue, but I love Carolina. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, and I hated when, because Clements is a rival and I hate that they wear it because it almost makes me not want to have that as my favorite color. Right. Um, so. <laughs> that is too funny. Now, let me ask you this. I know that you're, you're, you're being kind of facetious, but is there is Columbia blue and Carolina blue, are they exactly the same or is, is there some slight difference with Carolina blue? I'm going to say there's a slight difference. Carolina blue is a little, little lighter, um, gotcha. but yeah. Let's let's not get it. Twisted. We'll call. It, I, I apologize. Yeah. Carolina blue and navy for the Clements Rangers and the Aldi Mustangs. But you're right. You're right. I, I love that by the way. And uh, but anyhow, so you know, you're a diehard UNC fan. Your family is actually originally uh, from North Carolina. And if you didn't play football, the dream was you wanted to go to college uh, back back east, uh, back in the Carolinas. Beautiful out there, man. I've been to Asheville. I uh, went to that old was that big mansion. I forget the name of it. Uh, not the Vanderbilt one. I think um, it, maybe it is the Vanderbilt. It might be Biltmore, it, the Biltmore estate. I went to the Biltmore estate. But yeah, just beautiful part of the country out there. If, if no one, if you haven't been there already, but you went to the national championship game against Villanova at Reliant. Crazy atmosphere, great experience. You said your bucket list game is Duke versus UNC at Chapel Hill. Would you ever step into Cameron? Would you ever try to do that one, or is that, is that would you kind of start like burning and, and like it's, disintegrating? It's a, <laughs> it would be a great experience no matter what um yeah. but to be at chapel hill yeah for that matchup i think that's the way to go hey and i had to feel good to send coach k as much as i love coach k and i am a former coach k as coach kovaleski you know but uh it had to feel good to send him into retirement with an l <laughs> yeah it did that was a tough game though um yeah. i uh, i was wearing my fitbit watch or my iWatch yeah. and looking at my heart rate on those free throws I'm like, I'm about to have a heart attack. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And last thing we're going to do, we're going to do a UNC Carolina Blue Tar Heel Mount Rushmore. So your top four favorite. And I'll, I'll open it up if you want to do football, basketball, kind of whatever way you want to approach it. But your personal favorites, man, if you could make a Stephen McCorbick uh, Tar Heel Mount Rushmore, who would your top four be? Well, you got to have the, the legend, the man, um, MJ. Um, yeah, because he yeah, yeah. honestly he built Carolina. Um, then if we go football, LT Lawrence Taylor, um, two potential goat candidates right there off the bat. So whether I mean if you're, you're a LeBron guy or this guy or that guy, but like Lawrence Taylor revolutionized the game of football, no doubt about it. So the the next two guys I'm going to go with um, may not be the the greatest ever to play their their sports, um, but it's two guys that I just enjoyed watching 
their style of play. Okay. Um, Vince Carter. Absolutely. Um, growing up, I was like, man, I'm going to be like Vince Carter and I'm going to jump through the roof. And Coach Call had me wearing these shoes with little weights on the front yeah. to try to make my vertical go up. I was going to be Vince Carter. Um, then Julius Peppers. I like yeah. that. He was a dual oh, sport gosh. athlete. Um, but that's my four. I know the last two are debatable, um, but I'm sticking to it. Those are my guys. I love it, man. And it's, it's your list. That's what we always say. Like it doesn't, you're not, you're not saying these are the four greatest. It's my favorite. And so I love that, that those are the guys that stood out to you, man. I can completely relate. If you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, again, please take a moment. Just takes a couple seconds. Give us that five-star rating. That is so pivotal in the podcast world, Steven. I mean, I know you know that as a podcast mm -hmm. fan, but that's what drives the algorithm, right? The more ratings we get, it drives us up the charts so more people will find this show and hear these stories of coaches making a difference. You can hit the follow button. That way you're subscribed and you're going to hear a new episode in your queue as soon as they come out each Sunday. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. You can hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. And then we're we homegrown here, man. We, we lift up our own. And so I, I meet people like today, meeting your mom at, at the coffee bar or getting recommendations. That's how we find our guests. So if, if you have a coach that made a difference in your life, send me an email, DM me on Twitter. We'll get them in here and get an episode done. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. You may have coached against this guy. That's Dominique Williams. He was a corner at Clements, ended up okay, playing at Midwestern yeah. State. But that, that's Avrion. Is, is Dominique Williams is, is his birth name. Uh, and, uh, man, Coach, this has been a lot of fun. Again, thank you so much, Coach Stephen McCormick, for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy 